In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig and welcome to this week's episode of the Full 60. I am excited right now to be joined by Ian Cole of the Colorado Avalanche, two-time Stanley Cup winner with the Pittsburgh Penguins and... A player like most others in the NHL getting ready to whatever the next phase is to get back onto the ice. Ian, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Oh, I'm uh, I'm doing well, and and thanks for having me. Um, So I want to start right there. I want to say, is phase two tomorrow for you? Like, is is tomorrow the, the, the official official beginning? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is league-wide. Uh, for okay. us, we're, uh, we have the guys that are in town here. I think there's only five or six of us right now okay. uh, that are going in tomorrow, though. So uh, pretty excited to finally get back out there. Yeah, I imagine. So so just from like a very human being, like basic level, like what's your – like just – I know how it's been for our family as we've tried to loosen a little bit. Like it, for us, it was really easy to say, "Okay, we're not doing anything." Like I think quarantining was the easy part because it was like, "Great, we're just gonna easy in that it was easy to follow the rules." And and now it's like there's a lot of gray area on what we can do and can't do. And and I'm not even talking about trying to you know hit the ice with teammates. Like, what's your? How are you approaching it? What's like your your mental approach to this? Um, yeah, I mean. And, and to be honest, it was pretty similar over here as well, as far as uh, how easy it was. Um, you know, it really wasn't hard. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, I mean, foresight might be a little bit of uh, giving myself a little too much credit, but um, I put a home gym uh, in, in the house here in Denver uh, last year. Okay. Uh, and and I thought initially, I was like, man, I really overdid this. Like, did I really need rubber floors and mirrors on the walls and a rack and like everything. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm very, very glad I did it because it's, uh, it saved me. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as the quarantine goes, it, it was actually really, really quite easy, uh, in that sense. Yeah. Um, I was able to get all any workout I wanted to do was able to do it. You know, I had my Peloton that I've been ripping on and I got a park three blocks away. I can go run in. So, uh, all those things considered, it was really quite easy. Um, I mean, obviously the, the lack of, uh, you know, being social and getting out of the house can, can wear on you a little bit, but uh, but it really hasn't been too bad. Um, as far as right now, obviously, with things are a little gray, I mean, Colorado's pretty much all the way open now. I mean, restaurants are even have, I think, restaurants are open for, like, seating and stuff. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, there is so much gray area, and I think that, uh, you know, you kind of got to make – choices based on you know what's the best for for you and your family or whatever so you know you try to still limit that contact with with large groups of people uh, as best you can and uh you know obviously you don't go sit down in a confined area for six hours at a time with, <laughs> right, with 100 right. people so you know i mean there's all those things that you hear about and the best way to handle it i think the uh, our team and and so the nhlpa as well has has been very uh uh, informative and, and certainly getting us prepared uh, yeah. for kind of this next phase two and then phase three as training camp and then hopefully you know going towards this this whole hub city uh, playoff situation so so behind the scenes like what, what's been the PA's approach to is it just like emails or like how like how often are you hopping on calls and and that sort of thing just to keep yourself up to speed 
very, very frequently, actually. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think they've been really good about it. So we're there's obviously a, a lot of things in motion right now. Um, so uh, I am on the executive board. So I've been on quite oh, you a few are. of those calls. Yeah, I I so probably like yeah, probably two a week for those. Uh, and those can get uh, long and, and maybe a bit heated, which I guess is is understandable given that we have 700 and some members or whatever. Right. Um, and then uh, you know there's there's the negotiating calls, and then we've actually been doing individual team calls to make sure that every team mm-hmm. gets relayed the proper amount of information uh, and the proper information, I guess, from like directly from Don, which I think is always kind of the best way to do it. Um, just kind of disseminating that information. Uh, it, it always seems to, to come off a little smoother and, and come off, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, we're just dumb hockey players, right? So a little more articulate <laughs> uh, coming from a lawyer than from a hockey player. Um, right. But uh, and then we've actually even had uh, a couple calls with the, the PA's uh, medical advisor and then uh, infectious disease specialist. So um, we've been, I think, have done a really, really good job uh, as far as uh, teaching guys uh, about the disease, kind of mm-hmm. what the progress is or what the process is going to be here moving forward, and just kind of how they can, you know, relate and, and use this information in their everyday life. I imagine, like you, you mentioned, you're talking about 700 players. Like I can just tell you within my circle of people here in Michigan, the the opinions and how this should be handled. And I'm talking, you know, whatever it is, 50 people that are whatever I'm hanging out with or talking or family members. And it ranges all over the place. So I can't even imagine when you're talking about 700 people or players and opinions and what they think should be like, like those calls must be crazy. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, everyone is, is, is very united and, and really on, quite frankly, the same page, which I think is great. Uh, it's okay. great to see. I think that, you know, in my opinion, in my 10 years in the league, this is the most that I've ever seen guys, um, you know, united and, and certainly, uh, you know, on the same page. Sure, there's going to be different opinions on, right. on some, you know, minute things here or there or how things should be structured or whether we should reseed or this or that. I mean, but I think yeah. that when you get really down to the foundation of it, I think a lot of guys are on board and guys are very engaged and, and, and for the most part, very informed. I think that, like I said, the PA has done a great job of that, keeping guys informed, which I think is first and foremost their job, right? Right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it can get a little fired up. I think just human nature is to is to think from uh, their own, uh, guys think from their own personal standpoint and a lot of things, right? So, you know, you got guys, uh, teams in different situations, uh, whether like bubble teams or teams in first place or teams that are normally on the outside of the playoff picture looking in that are really looking right. forward to a 24 team, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> playoff type situation. So yeah. uh, I think you kind of need to wade through the uh, personal side of things or, or, right. or team right. side of things and just kind of get down to the crux of the matter. And I think that so far we've done a pretty good job of that. So I like the like I, I I like the plan. the The one thing I can't wrap my head around is for the seven teams that that aren't doing anything till January or whatever it's going to be. Like, can you imagine? Right. I don't know how those guys are gonna. They're gonna go crazy. Yeah, uh, that is uh, <laughs> that is a situation that I am very glad that I'm not in, to be honest, because that is a long time. So, it is. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I mean, uh, incentives for for being on a good team, I guess. That's right. But I'm sure it's not going to be, I'm sure it's not going to be the best, uh, best summer for them because, you know, obviously it's going to be long and no paychecks are going to be coming in. How much have you looked at even like, and it seems maybe it's not that far off as a player, like matchups and paths and, and, you know, from a Colorado perspective, like, have you, is it just been like, I just need to get myself in shape or you, have you started to look at that kind of stuff yet? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, staying in shape and, and getting ready is, is a priority first and foremost. And, um, you know, you try to stay aware of the situation as far as, you know, p- potential um, matchups. But I don't think you need to get too in the weeds uh, as far as plotting your course necessarily. Right. Um, you know, with the potential reseeding, you know, after every round, you know, depending on who wins the first round, it could be a totally different matchup. Um, but one thing that I, I did really like about it is the ability uh, for us as the second seed in the West to, to have the chance to catch 
um, St. Louis and, and potentially become like a first seed in the West. That had been our, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a, a lull there in the middle of the season and, and lost some points and St. Louis went on a run. Uh, so for the past couple months, our goal was always to catch St. Louis, catch St. Louis, try to be number first in the or first in the Western Conference. And that was our only mindset for the past two months. And we ended up did did catch them. I think we're tied or, or maybe two points behind with the game in hand uh, of them there towards the end. So um, with keeping that same mindset going into the playoffs and having the ability to catch them or at least play them for that opportunity, at least in some regard, I think is is definitely good uh, as far as a mindset goes yeah. for, uh, for going into that playoff. Why was it so? It seemed like the receding thing was an important thing to the players. I, from my perspective, I I I don't know what the league's argument was, but I understand like, hey, it's good to have a bracket and an, a tournament and you can fill them out and all that. And so I, I know like in the past that was something the league wanted. Why was the reseed something the players, like what were you hearing in terms of why that was so important? Yeah, I mean, I think I think just generally speaking, over the course of the past ten years, you know, guys think that reseeding is important because, you know, if you know with the with the way the divisional stuff is set up now, uh, I think a lot of guys would rather have it just be one through eight reseed, you know, one through four reseed, one two, right? So I think it just makes the most sense. The best team should be in the the team has the best record should be in the most advantageous position all the way through the playoffs. Um, And, you know, in a situation like ours where the central is so strong or has been so strong, uh, you know, it's something where, you know, we're going to play, you know, potentially three out of the top four teams just to get to the Stanley cup finals where, you know, another team in a different division might have a little bit of an easier road. And if you receive that kind of takes that out. Right. Um, I believe uh, there was an argument made by the league that if there was a bracket, you could start round two of the playoffs before round one was done because you'd already know what the bracket is, right? You'd already see have that, which uh, I think might speed up the process. Um, but at the same time, you wouldn't have, you know, that fairness of, you know, one plane eight or one plane four or whatever the case may be, depending on the round. So right. I think there's arguments that can be made on either side. But I think the players with, you know, letting more teams into it, yeah. I think thought that the number one team, the number two team should have to be able to play the number 12 team or the number 11 team or whatever, right. depending on who wins that first play in round. So um, that's, are you the player rep too for Colorado? I am. Yeah. You see, so you don't mind taking stuff on. You like doing that stuff? I got a lot of time on my hands. I've been quarantined. <laughs> I might as well take on some responsibility. You know, I could, I could be on a couple calls. Yeah. That's great. I know nobody wants to talk about the the CBA negotiations. I feel like it's really been clamped down this time around, and I, that's probably a good thing, right? That means you guys are get, you guys are getting some work done behind the scenes. But how, like in general terms, you said it's there's been a lot of unity on your side. I feel like there's been the communication between the PA and the league has been good. Like I'm not getting as much complaining in the back. Like in general terms, how is that all going? Well, you know, I think uh, I think it is, is it's going well. I think that things are progressing, which you know is is always a good sign. Um, obviously, that could be very temporary. Sure. <laughs> some yeah. By the time it's supposed tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They could be not talking anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I think that given the situation, given the worldwide pandemic, given um, the fact that there may not be fans in the stands, there there needs. I think there are a lot of objectives that line up for the players and the league in this particular situation. Um, I think the league needs the players, you know, to extend the season to help uh, put them in an advantageous position uh, for financial reasons. I mean, uh, not to list out all of them, but uh, a couple here and there. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, we need the league to be a, a viable and healthy uh in a financial sense uh league so um you know while there uh i think that the league isn't hasn't necessarily i think in the past lockouts the league has taken a pretty hard stance and the players you know <laughs> yes. probably right rightfully so have have had the first initial reaction of well i don't know i'm not going to swear but like hey f you guys like what do you mean you're going to have to take 24 percent salary rollbacks like what do you mean you sign us to these contracts like, now you don't want to pay him? Like, what is going on here? Um, and, you know, and, and that rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way, and rightfully so. But I think if you uh, can step back and look at the situation logically, 
I think that you're able to see that uh, these are unprecedented times, unprecedented mm-hmm. financial times, uh, where you know there's uh, there needs to be a little bit of give and take on both ends, and it seems like uh, the league is willing to to have a little a little give and take there, and I think that the players are are willing to have a little give and take as well, given the right situation. Um, yeah. To, to help kind of everyone, everyone kind of needs to come together and work their way through this, I think, which is, you know, unique to the past. Right. 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 So. Um, I, I, so, I mean, God, there's, there's a lot going on right now. It, there's a few, one of the things I wanted to get out with you was, was, um, I mean, especially last week and it's spilling into this week, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. And there's been a lot of kind of very heavy cultural conversations going on and especially in the hockey world that have never existed and one of the things i want to ask you because i know there's some of it you really can't speak to but there's one of the things that i i do know like hockey culture tends to um limit anybody from speaking out right like you you know how it is like you don't want to stand out in a dressing room you don't want to you know and to the point where like you're a guy that is friendly with the media or you're chatty and i know like people like i have people like why does everyone talk, want to talk to ian cole you know what i mean like there seems to be this this um if you do anything that's out of line with with anybody else it you stand out do you do you think hockey we're going to see some of that evolve because of everything that's going on now uh, i think it would be hard for hockey not to evolve given that kind of given the climate right now right i mean i think that um and I say this kind of uh, in a very kind of uh, overarching statement, but I think for the most part, every interaction that I've had with a majority, vast majority of people in hockey, they're like the people in hockey are really, really good people. Yeah. I think for the most part, um, I don't think that, uh, and I think that they really do care about bettering not only the game, but, but certainly the world as well. And I think that, you know, they want to acknowledge um, all of these uh, certainly movements uh, and and progress forward. So I think that you will see a lot more players um, stepping up uh, and certainly making their uh, maybe more personal, um, you know, thoughts and and feelings uh, public. And I think that that's not necessarily. I think that's a good thing. Um, I think a lot of times, and I know this has been you know, my personal thing is I don't, I don't, I try not to make too much of my personal life public, right? Like, I don't think I need to comment on every, uh, every news article, or I don't think I need to comment on, you know, everything, but there are also some things that are, that certainly need to be commented on. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that you might see that, uh, a little bit more often, uh, moving forward for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, we've definitely have seen that And and you release a statement and many, many players, did like what was did, did you consult with it like how, what was that process like from your point of view was it just like okay i i i have my feelings i because you are you're right you're like you're happy to talk hockey but you're not like someone that's throwing out their political views or whatever constantly like how was that right. process for you going through it yeah and, and i think it's one of those things too that it's you know i don't i don't, I just philosophically speaking i don't like to put too much of my private life public that's just right. kind of how i feel about it i don't think that i need to like you said, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll post hockey pictures on Instagram and a couple things here or there, but I'm not, you know, Instagramming my entire day, right? <laughs> right. Every day, all day long, 365 days. So, you know, I don't feel that I am in a position that I have to comment on everything that happens. Right. Uh, but like I said, I mean, some things are so big and so important that you have to comment. Um, so uh, initially, like I, I, I didn't say a ton I kept it pretty quiet. I certainly had a ton of conversations privately with a ton sure. of people. I mean, I was fortunate enough to, I listened to your podcast with, with Ryan and I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, one of the people that Ryan called uh, shortly after, yeah. you know, that everything kind of started here in Denver and just to check in, say hi and just kind of shoot the shit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for lack of, yeah. for maybe an inappropriate phrase for the, for the podcast, but um, there's no and, rules uh, on this podcast. It's good. Oh, perfect. Let's go. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, had a lot of, uh, private conversations and certainly, you know, tried to learn and, and tried to, you know, uh, you know, get better and become a better human being. And, and then it got to the point where it was like, all right, like 
I have to say something. I cannot not say something, right? Um, so while you know, I don't necessarily believe that everything in my private life needs to be public. Like I said, there are some things that just really can't go uh, ignored. Uh, so, um, or maybe not said. So uh, that's kind of was was my kind of uh, the way I worked through it there for the first couple of days, and um, you know, and I think there's no. You can't deny the power of, uh, of social media, right? And how many people you can reach and how quickly you can reach them. So, um, while I don't necessarily think that, like I said, everything needs to be everything needs to be public. There, there are right. some things that, given that platform, you need to take advantage of. I, I want to get into your your past as someone who grew up not far from where I grew up, and I want to dive into some of that. Yeah, um, just two Michigan boys. Hot two stolen. Michigan. We're gonna have a little bit of a Michigan conversation. One thing, and you can tell me if you don't want to do this, but I, I, I wanted. We got our um, awards ballots, the PHWA. We got them this week, and one thing I always do privately, normally, and not on a podcast, is get people's opinions that are in the game. And I've actually changed. I want to say I changed. Um, my heart vote pretty considerably a couple years ago. I ended up voting for your teammate Nathan McKinnon um, after talking to players and and people people around the league. Um, and so I really value that because obviously you know better than I do. And and people are, and so I I wanted to run through my ballot at least a couple of the ones I'm struggling with. Do you are you are you willing to do that publicly? Yeah. At least get yeah. your thoughts. And I, I imagine yeah. you might have some opinions on heart. Um, cause it, it's, well, this is easy for me because <laughs> I have real no skin in the game and I can just, just talk off the cuff and you're the one that really, you know, I've got to turn heat. in the ballot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thankfully, nobody's ever disagreed with my picks in all my years. They've always said, wow, boy, you nailed, nailed it again, Craig. Just like, no. just like no one's ever, uh, you know, complained about any of my hockey games that I've played. <laughs> That's right. Another perfect game. I played a perfect Cole. game every time. <laughs> um, all right. So heart. I don't know how much you follow the Connor. Like it seems like this went from like Connor McDavid to Drysital to now it, it, the trendy thing is Panarin. Um, I'm. I think there's a McKinnon. Where? where who would be? Your, where, where are you at on the heart? Who would you pick? <sighs> well, um, see, that's you start off with a with a real tough one. Um, it's. Uh, I'm obviously going to be quite a bit partial to my teammate. Um, with Miko being gone or hurt pretty much all year, uh, Landy being hurt for a large portion of the year is two normal line mates. Uh, I mean, the way he, the way Nate carried not just our team, but certainly play for huge stretches of every game uh, and what he accomplished essentially by himself. I mean, I don't think, and I think I saw this on the internet, so obviously yeah. it's, it's 100% true. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, that I think he uh, it said something about him having like the the difference between him and the second place person on the team was like the greatest margin in the mm. NHL. Yeah, like, I think it was like forty points or something like that, which is like insane. Um, because usually a lot of these guys, you know, you have like a McDavid Drysaddle type situation, like a Sid Malkin um, or like a Panarin and Zavinajad type situation. I mean, I think. Zvinichad doesn't get mentioned as often as he should. I think he's an unbelievable player. He is uh, good. Unbelievable hockey yeah. player. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I had the, the the honor of playing with Brad for a couple months in my two-month-long stint in Columbus, and he he's an incredible hockey player as well. So, I mean, in my recollection, and now I wasn't on Colorado at the time, but I think one of the arguments against Nate a couple years ago was that oh well like Miko put up a point a game too so like he right. didn't do it just himself and that's why Taylor Hall won it correct am I am I right yeah that, that was like, the Taylor Hall year year I'm gonna right. I'm gonna see while you're talking and see if I can pull up my ballot because I that was the one I switched from Hall to McKinnon at the last right. second so I think if you you keep that same logic I think that you have Nate not playing with his two main line mates with playing with Phil in, I mean, not feeling obviously really good players. So don't get me wrong. But, yeah, of course. You know, without Miko, without Landy uh, for a majority of the year and still producing the way that he produced. I mean, I think that that's pretty incredible um, in that sense. You know, I just remember there were a lot of times where you'd look over and you'd see like McDavid and Drysaddle have like four or five points each. And you're like, okay, that's incredible. But like that kind of makes sense. I mean, they're two, world-class elite superstar players like yeah i could see that you know um 
the, the, what gets people what gets people hung up on this award and it and it's we we talk about this every year but it's the wording I, one of the, one of my pet peeves is so you guys have the the players have their award i think it's a ted Lindsay to the most valuable mm-hmm. player right and yeah. and so everyone's like oh the players got it right cuz it's so easy to you know Connor mcdavid's the best player and we're going to give it and the wording of the heart trips everybody up with us because it's mm-hmm. the most valuable to his team like that's mm-hmm. the player a judge i'm reading them my ballot to be the most valuable to his team. So now all of a sudden you got to sit there and go, you got you can't just say Connor McDavid's the best player in the league and he's the MVP. You got to say, well, if you subtract him, are they that like if you subtracted McKinnon from the Avs this year with all their injuries or whatever, boy, it, it would have been a huge thing. And like that and that's an extra step you have to t- take. And then then the other thing that messes with us as voters, I think, is whether or not making the playoffs should factor in. And so right. I, I pulled up that 18. So that was 2018. I, I voted for McKinnon one, Hall two, Hall wins. And then I had Connor McDavid fifth because I just didn't know what to do with him because he was the best player in the league, but they didn't make the playoffs. So I was right. just like, well, I've got to acknowledge it. And so I just put him fifth. And I don't even know if that was the right decision. Um, what's, what do you think? Does, can a guy win the Hart Trophy without making the playoffs? Should a guy? I mean, I mean that's tough because then you could – go look at a really terrible team with one superstar, you know, like, I don't know, just for the sake of the conversation, like a Drew Doughty in LA. Right. You'd be like, man, they were a terrible team, but he was really good this year. Yeah. Right. And usually though, I mean, usually if the team's terrible, you're not going to have one guy that's like has a hundred points. Right. Because then the team would probably be better, have a better point total. Um, but at the same time, it could happen. Like, there like that is an art that is a possibility that could happen you know in which case i don't think that player would win it no matter how good he is if his team's not if his team's that bad like he could be the most irreplaceable player in the league and i don't think he'll win it right i because it's like if so my argument is, like is the worst team in the league if you're if the guy's that valuable to his team and they're bad like if you subtract them they're still bad that's what i always say so i'm like it can't you know, the guy might have had a huge year, but how valuable? I'm not saying he's not valuable, but by the wording of the award, which again I don't like, um, I think that that eliminates that guy. But I guess the harder one is the bubble teams. And then this year, do, do the play-in teams count? Like, can we go ahead and you know what I mean? Like Panarin now maybe probably doesn't make the playoffs, but in real life, if we had you know Earth 1.0, but the you know he they do he's in a playoff team, play-in team. Right. Does that count? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. See, I know. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Norris Trophy. Who's your Norris? I think this one's kind of easy, isn't it? I, and for the to be completely transparent, I've done. I have not begun my research on this, so I'm really coming in cold. I don't know. That's tough. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of defensemen that I think are really good um, that might not necessarily line up with. Um, you know, what the voters would say. And obviously I'm a little, again, slanted because I'm a little bit more defensive. I really uh, respect guys as a defenseman that play, you know, both ways rather than just put up a right. ton of points. Okay. Um, but, are, but are a bit of liability defensively. Um, not to name names, but I just think that that has more, uh, I think a guy that can, can obviously put up points, yes, but is also a Shrek Town guy at the same time. Like that player is more, I think valuable to his team putting up 50 points than a guy that puts up 70 points. Right. Um, uh, that's just my opinion on, on that. Um, I mean, that being said, I mean, it's really tough to argue like the John Carlson, how many points he's put up this year and how obviously still good that team is and how many minutes he plays and situations that he plays. And so, um, I mean, that's a pretty tough uh, argument to, to make uh, for somebody else. He was over a point a game. Like the, the, his points per game is, uh, a number we haven't seen from a defenseman in 20 years or something crazy. Right. So like he's who, so who is a guy just in, maybe not for Norris talk, but you talk like you have guys you'd like who are well-rounded that maybe don't get these accolades. Like who's, who's an example of that? Yeah. Like I think like, like an Alex Petrangelo, like sure. He might not have the flashiest numbers in the sense that he's putting up 80 points or 70 points. But he still puts up a very respectable, you know, 50 or 60 or whatever he puts right, up. Right, Even 40, let's say. But I think that as a defenseman, like, if you're, if you're getting scored on 
more often than you're scoring and you're still putting up 80 points, like there's an issue there for me. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't know how, yes, that guy might be really good, but like for me, I care about the playoffs. I care about winning the playoffs. I care about winning the Stanley cup. Like, will that guy be able to one produce at that rate in the Stanley cup playoffs, or will that guy be able to defend well enough to win a Stanley cup playoff series? And I don't know what the answer is there, but I would be more comfortable if my teammate was someone like Alex Petrangelo versus someone that's yeah in the mold that I just said. I'm not right. going to start naming names, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, all right. That's just my – that's how I feel about it. I could be like, wrong. People could argue with me, but that's what I feel. I mean, it becomes a thing – like we're, like – it becomes a debate of are you, are you building a team to win a Stanley Cup or are you just you know these are individual awards and like but yeah so so the next one's interesting because it impacts somebody you know well and I I think I probably would align with you on this but the Calder has essentially come down to a debate between Quinn Hughes and Cal McCarr um I like I don't want to put words in your mouth who do you like there. I mean, again, five. <laughs> but, <laughs> See, uh, I would love if you just with Quinn Hughes. Let me tell you why Quinn Hughes yeah. deserves it. Now, I think Quinn Hughes is a good player. But, I mean, I, I think Kale, uh, I mean, knowing him personally, seeing what he's done on the ice, game in, game out, uh, the role that he plays, the situation that he, that, he, that he plays in, the situations that he plays in. Um, and uh, he's, he's an incredible player and is just so explosive. Uh, you know, he's dealt with some injuries and he's battled through some things. Um, so uh, I think in a, for his first for his first full year, uh, he is uh, he, he would take it in my book. Uh, so, I mean, again, not knocking Quinn Hughes again. Great player. Uh, but I would I would go with Kale for sure. I'm old enough to remember where de- defensemen didn't just walk into the league and play like these guys. No, you know what I mean. It's crazy so what those two did. <laughs> like, what was your first couple years like? When you think about what Kale and Quinn have done, like, how long did it take for you to get your bearings oh, and man. how to defend? Well, I mean, we could we could talk about this for a while, but you know, I was <laughs> I was in St. Louis and Ken Hitchcock was the coach there, and he did not have a ton of uh, tolerance for uh, mistakes, uh, youthful mistakes, uh, and and really had a. Uh, a love affair with, with older guys uh, that he thought he could rely on more just because that they, uh, because the games played or be, or because of the situations that they've been in. Um, and there was a point, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago I went through and, and, uh, and just like, and just went through and just racked my brain and thought of all the players that I played with that, uh, you know, kind of played over me or like I'd make a mistake, I'd make a mistake in the game. I'd be out for three games. I'd go back in I'd make him one mistake now, this was like 20 games into my career. I'd be out for two weeks. So it's just a very inconsistent um, uh, playing schedule. And I don't think that you really develop when you're playing one game every week or one game every couple of weeks. Or you're so scared to make a mistake that you are petrified to do anything because God forbid something might be wrong. Um, so I think in that sense, I think that was a little bit more the norm when I came into the league in 2010. Uh, and I think that teams have realized that that is not the best way to develop young players or not the best way to develop young defensemen, especially. Uh, and I think that you see how dynamic young players can be given the right situation, the right opportunities. Now, obviously, you're still going to probably shelter them a little bit. You're not going to throw them out there against, you know, Panarin or, you know, McDavid or Dreisaitl, most likely. But at the same time, you you want to give them opportunities. You want them to succeed. You want to give them the chance to find themselves and, and figure out how to be a player, because that's pretty much what it is as a defenseman, right? It's going through and it's finding yourself in a bunch of different situations, figuring out what works, what doesn't work in these situations and what you can do as a player. And then kind of honing your game within that kind of uh, those parameters, right? Of what you can do. So it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of situations, and it takes a lot of experience to really kind of hone your game into something that is efficient and uh, effective. And I think that, you know, and I, I don't know what the saying is, what, it takes 200 games to see how a defense is going to be in the NHL? Yeah, that's a, you know? that's the kind of the coach line. You, 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 right. you're, are you, would you agree with that assessment? Well, yeah, I mean, 
I, I, I would say so. I mean, I yeah. think that you have the very unique players, you know, such as Kale or Quinn that are able to step in in the first 10 games or one game in Kale's case. Uh, That's <laughs> crazy. And, and what he did. It was crazy what Kale did. Like I, that kind of people forget, like just yeah. walked in was great. No, I mean, he's just so dynamic, right? He's just, I mean, he's, he's such a good skater that, you know, if he makes a mistake, yeah. he can recover in a way that I've never seen. Mm. Uh, I mean, he can make a bad read, stop, take three strides and catch a guy like a world-class player. Uh, you know, maybe not McDavid, but, right. you know, I would never be able to do that. Like, if I make a bad read, I'm toasted. So, <laughs> uh, and I know that. So, I got to right. play a little bit more cautiously than, than, than he can. But, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a world-class elite player. And I think that, you know, if you can get those young guys, those, let's say, 200 games, in the first 200 games during the NHL, like, that's a much better situation than having a guy play his first 200 games in his first 400, 500 games that he's in the NHL, right? right. Just having that continuity. And that's really what, like, I'm looking now on your your Elite Prospects page, and it's, you know, there's half of, half a season in St. Louis, half a season in Peoria. You know, there was a lot of back and forth to, to the start of your career, and I I imagine that must have been hard and frustrating on some level. Yeah, I mean, the first two years, first year I was up and down like nine times. Mm. The second year I started down, played for a while, was up for the rest of the year come like November, but I only played like 20 some games out of like, you know, 60, let's say, or 65 or 70. Um, and then the third year was a lockout year. So I was down for the lockout. Uh, and then actually Jaden Schwartz and I were down there and then we came back, we came up right as the lockout ended because we were still like on our entry levels or whatever. Um, and then again, like did played like half the games that situation that season. And then like, it was starting to play a little bit more, but again, it was like very inconsistent. Uh, and it was, I don't think necessarily the best thing to, to learn how to be an NHL defenseman, you know? And, and so like to me, and you could like, you really, you really establish yourself with Pittsburgh. How did you find out about the trade? Like what was there, what went into that? What was that time like for you? Um, well, I think that, uh, given the situation in, in St. Louis where I said, where it's, you know, make a mistake and I'm out for a week and, uh, that still kind of started to, that was still happening in my fourth and fifth year and I'm just like okay like what is going on here like am I going to play consistently or like if I'm not going to play consistently then like well you at least give me the opportunity to go somewhere where I can play consistently yeah um, oh and, so you demanded a trade so that's whoa, whoa 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 I did uh -huh. not say demanded a that's trade what you just, that's don't what I heard I don't know what off. you said <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> this is media you can't trust them <laughs> Um, uh, so, right, you know, so it's just, yeah. it's just a conversation that I had with, 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 you know, Doug Armstrong and, you know, uh, I, I give all Doug all the credit in the world. I mean, he, uh, I mean, that trade really, uh, helped me, uh, be able to get a little continuity in, in my, in my career and, and, and certainly how often I was playing and, and the minutes that I was playing, uh, and really kind of form into an NHL defenseman. Um, I, I always thought that I had potential and was good. Um, but given the, uh, how sporadic, I was playing or, you know, I mean, there were some times where I was playing like 10 minutes a game, like when I was playing. So it wasn't like it was, um, a good developmental situation. And, and, uh, so he ended up trading me to Pittsburgh, uh, Jimmy Rutherford, uh, who again is, you know, one of the best GMs, if not the best GM in the league in my book, um, you know, had some incredible foresight to go get me. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably his best deal. I'm, you know, yeah. he's made a lot of trades. But yeah, no. not even close to like his like fiftieth <laughs> best deal, but it worked out pretty well uh, for me personally, and obviously had a lot of success there as a team. So yeah, um, and and that's really uh, you know it ended up being great for me. It was the best thing that could have happened. So. Was Mike Sullivan? I'm trying. I'm just trying to get the timeline in my head. Was was Mike Sullivan already there when you got there? Uh, no. So actually, when I got there, Mike Johnson was there. Oh, okay. So I was there trade deadline. Mike Johnson's last. Uh, the year before his last year, and then he started the following yeah. year. Yeah, and then we didn't. We were not good, uh, and he uh, ended up getting replaced. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, so I mean, you've had some in, like, I would say demanding coaches in their, each in their own style with with Hitch and then Mike Sullivan, and then you, you mentioned your your cup of coffee with John Tortorella. How mm -hmm. how do you like? How did you find that? 
I mean, those that, that's that's a way to break in the league. How did you like? What did you learn from each of those guys? <laughs> uh, learned a ton. Yeah, learned a ton. I mean, um, uh, Ken Hitchcock talked about him previously. Don't really need to go into that much further. <laughs> um, uh, Mike Sullivan, uh, I always thought was a very good coach. Um, I think that uh, you know he did uh, a lot of good things. Uh, with our team and, and certainly brought in uh, a youthful energy when he came up from Wilkes-Barre with Connor Sheary and Brian Rust and Matt Murray uh, and Tommy Kunackle and guys that came in and immediately breathed life into our team. Um, so, uh, you know, that uh, was obviously huge for us as a team. Um, and one of the things that, that he would always say to us in our first year that we won was, uh, was, was just play. And I think that was a huge thing for us as a team where like, no matter what happens, no matter, you know, we win a game in the playoffs and all of a sudden we're going to win the Stanley cup in the second round, or we lose a game in the playoffs and oh, we don't even have a chance. We're done. Like, it doesn't matter what anyone says. doesn't matter what anyone on the outside says. doesn't matter how we played the last game. Like, doesn't matter how you, what shift you had last shift. doesn't matter if you made a mistake or you had a great play, like, come back, refocus, like just play, like just get back to playing, like just focus on playing and playing our style of hockey. Um, and I think that mantra and mindset uh, was something that really, really helped us as a team, a team that was kind of uh, very inconsistent. It helped us find our consistency. So I think in that sense, um, that was extremely, um, extremely good for us. Uh, John Tortorella, could not love the guy more. I thought he was an unbelievable coach. Absolutely loved him. Um, very demanding, but very honest. And uh, he would give it to anyone on the team that wasn't performing to their capabilities. No matter who you were. Whether you were Seth Jones, who in my mind is also one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, or, or Artemi Panarin. Or ian cole or whoever else in the team like it didn't matter who you were what your status was how much money you were making if you did not perform up to his standards which were lofty but i think properly lofty he was not afraid to be like what the f are you doing let's go like we need you and i think the best story the best example i have of that actually so Tom, thomas vanek got traded there um when I did and I didn't know Vans at all I just met him when we got there um, and there was one game probably I don't know 10 games into us being traded there where Torts came in after the first period and just ripped him ripped him now he, Thomas Vanek had had a long career ton of success very skilled player but he's like I don't know what you're doing out there Thomas like you're out to lunch like you're just circling you're not back checking you're not doing anything like I don't know what you're doing like you got to give me something yeah so Vans goes back out there in the second period and is unbelievable. Like responds like <laughs> right. an absolute professional. Right. Plays great. Back checks. Like turns the puck over a bunch. Like creates a bunch offensively. Great defense. Torch comes in. First thing he says in the second intermission, Thomas, I called you out. You responded. I cannot tell you how proud I am of you. Like that's what we have to do. And it was just one of those things that you're like, okay, like a lot of coaches would call a guy out and like still be mad at him right. as the game went on. Or be like, right. oh, that guy, well, he had a bad game. He had a bad first period. But he has the humility and the honesty to say, hey, listen, you were terrible and I called you out. But then guess what? You were awesome. And I am so proud of you for being awesome and for answering the bell. And I think that's the type of coach, that's the actual true honesty. That's the actual honesty that you really appreciate in a coach being able to do that to anyone in the locker room given any situation right and i think that's and a lot of guys preach honesty but that's the actual honesty that actually people respond to that matters right you know where you stand with john tortorella i imagine right at all times that's great um all right we were somehow somehow we're squeezed for time so let's let's wrap this up by i i want to because you grew up in ann arbor i i, I was um interested to see i didn't realize like your family was building players from the program the u.s national team um growing up like what was that experience like to see like it almost like this was just destined for what you had to do right as a young hockey player and like what was that like to just to be get that exposure to high-end players at such a young age 
oh, it definitely gave me something to to aspire to. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, I was, I think, eight years old when we had our first player, a guy named Scott Titus, who went on to be the captain at, at Ohio State. Okay. Uh, who's a teacher now in East Grand Rapids. So, uh, uh, That's great. Yeah, but you know, in my mind, as an eight-year-old, he was the greatest player to ever play. And I was like, listen, my house, this is so awesome. This is so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we had a we had some other players as we went through. And then it, well, actually, when I was the program, we housed uh, had a player live with us uh, that I knew previously, named Johnny Albert, who yeah, um, uh, I think he's over in Europe now. I think he's in the K. Um, but just John kind of Albert was a, those, uh, uh, Atlanta Thrashers draft pick when I was covering the team. Yes, yes, he was correct. Um. Yeah, Atlanta Thrashers. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. Sorry to be sorry. Uh, no, no, no. But it was you know it was one of those things that uh, you know I had a net out in the driveway and we'd go out and we'd stick handle and obviously I was an eight year old or a ten year old or a twelve year old and they were just dangling me and but it gave me something to aspire to right like my growing up my only goal was to play for the U.S. NTDP in high school and then play for Michigan. That was my only, that's all I wanted to do. I was a one track mind. Ended up playing for the NTDP uh, and then went to Notre Dame, which was actually even a better decision. So. I mean, I would agree with that on a lot of levels, <laughs> but where, where did it go sideways? <laughs> like, what, is there a backstory there? Um, uh, yeah, we're a little pressed for time, so maybe I'll uh, truncate it a bit. But, okay. Um, yeah, man, Michigan had me in. Um, when I was man, 14 and like, Hey, we're interested. We're interested. Like, we think you're really good. Like keep working hard. We'll, you know, we'll be in contact. Okay, great. So I probably, I went in to go visit Notre Dame, uh, between freshman, sophomore year of high school. Um, didn't really have like, okay, Notre Dame, like, okay, that's really cool. Like, uh, Dave Poulin actually was, was a coach there still when they first had me in, they offered me a scholarship. I was like, wow, that's really awesome. But like, I really want to go to Michigan. I'm only a Michigan guy. I'm an Ann Arbor guy. I really want to go to Michigan. Um, so over that sophomore year in high school, I played in the Victory Honda team with, with uh, coaches Brian Burke, who did a great job promoting the players and took us to play games and all these different college rinks so we could talk to the college coaches. And um, ended up getting uh, scholarship offers from pretty much everywhere in the Midwest, uh, Michigan State included, which yeah. never had a chance. <laughs> Come um, on. <laughs> no, I'm just Jeez. kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but, and then, so Michigan through this time was still like, Hey, we're interested. We're interested. Uh, so I pretty much sat on the Notre Dame scholarship for about a year, mm-hmm. uh, about a calendar year, uh, and, and went back to Notre Dame, you know, a couple times, two, three times, uh, coach Jackson got hired there in the summer, went down, spoke to him, saw the campus again. And he really got me excited for Notre Dame, the potential that Notre Dame had. Uh, and he's like, listen, we, we, we need a player. To, to be the first to commit, to be the first domino to fall so that we can keep, continue to, you know, recruit players. And, uh, and and everything about it, to be honest, at that point just felt right. And Michigan was just dragging their feet. And I think at one point they offered me like a half scholarship or something like that or said, oh, well, we'll think about a half. And my dad basically said like, well, I'm not paying for you to go to school when you can go to school for free anywhere else you want. So like <laughs> pick yeah, somewhere I feel else. that as a parent of a yeah. 15-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, – and it happened to work out that I went to Notre Dame often that year. Uh, met Coach Jackson, absolutely fell in love with the school and the academics of the university and the program and the potential that the program had. Uh, and Coach Jackson as a person and, and, and the foresight that he saw uh, that, that he had for that program and how successful it could be. And uh, made a little bit of a leap of faith there and committed there. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, it was probably the best decision I ever made. So That's great. And yeah. and when you're at the program, like that was a great. That was one of the. You were part of one of those all-time teams, like that was the Patrick Kane, JVR era, right? Yeah, yeah. So Kaner was on the eighty team ahead of us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we were the eighty-nine team, uh, and we had uh, we had a, a really quite a good team as well. Uh, Ninety team, not so much, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would tell them that to their face too. Uh. That's good. I've been one of my stories I've always wanted to do is like the de- definitive ranking of all the program teams. I just haven't gotten around to doing it. Ooh. Who would be your one number one class? Oh man. Have you ever thought tough. about this? No, I mean very like surface level. Yeah. But man, like the eighty seven team was unbelievable. Yeah. With like Bill and you know, Blake Wheeler, 
That was the '87 team, I believe, and they okay. were they were good. They were unreal. They were good. unreal. And um, then obviously the '88 team was great because of Patrick Kane and, and Eric Johnson on that team, and he was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Um, the um, I think like the '92s I, I, I think were really good too, right? Like '92s, '93s, I think. Who was that? Too. Who was that group? I don't know. I'm trying to remember it. I don't know. I, just, I had this I idea when really when the the group that came through with. Donnie Granado's team with like Austin mm-hmm. Matthews and I think like Zach Wierenski. Like it was just, it, and, and yeah. so that's like, a pretty talking, darn good team too. That's a pretty Charlie McAvoy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm sitting there going and, and they're like, and so like, I, I think I was talking, I forgot who I was talking to there and they're like, yeah. And then we just, it just became this, this debate, you know, they started bringing up, that's a good, that might be a good if, if I have to wait another two months before game story to run out in the middle of our, the pause. <laughs> yeah. Keep yourself busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ian, I've already taken too much of your time. So I know you got to get training. I know you, you're hitting the ice. And so I'm glad you were able to squeeze this in. Thanks for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. No, it was, it was great. I had a great time. So anytime. Awesome, man. Well, good luck out there. All right, Craig. Thanks. Talk to you. All right. Bye. I want to thank Ian for joining the program. That was a fun conversation. I knew it would be. Like, Ian is one of those guys that you're immediately drawn to in the in the dressing room. Always... Always up for a conversation, always insightful. Like he's like when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm doing a Sidney Crosby story and I want something that's that's hasn't been told or some really intelligent breakdown. You know, we we would we learn to go to Ian, and so I'm I'm glad he had the time to do that. I'm glad we were able to sneak it in before um, hockey got cranked up again from his perspective. So that was great. Um, before we wrap up, I want to plug a couple of things. Um, one. Mike Russo on his podcast, Straight from the Source, um, has a really good, uh, I would say, roundtable with co-host Joe Smith from Tampa is going to join him on this one. And they're going to talk hockey diversity with JT Brown, Jared Spurgeon, um, Agent Eustace King, and Minnesota Wild Dr. Joel Boyd. Um, And they're getting together to, to talk about Everything going on, um, diversity in hockey, I, I, I would strongly encourage you to check that out. Um, I'm excited about that one. And Mike's podcast is always good, but that one especially I, I think is great. Um, also, since we're mentioning Atlanta Thrashers, Chris Thorburn, who is one of the great guys in the game and who I got to know a little bit when he was playing for the Thrash, he joined um, We Went Blues, Jeremy Rutherford's podcast with Barry Jackman. So check that out. And also, a few of you have noticed this because we've been going back and forth on the comments section, but now on the Athletic app, you can comment on this podcast in each individual episode. And it's great feedback for me because it's I've already had a few people make um, guest suggestions, including Ray Shiro. That reminds me, I've gotta, we got we to get Ray on here. That was a great idea that came from the comments section. Um, and if you're in there, I will, I'm happy to, to banter back and forth. So you can comment on the Athletic app. If you're listening to this on Apple, which is great, um, make sure you subscribe and rate it. But um, if you want to comment, you have to have the Athletic app. You have to be a subscriber. And the best way to do that is to go to theathletic.com slash full60 to get 40% off your subscription. So check that out. All right. Well, thanks again to Ian for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.